Welcome to the Locum Strategist Podcast. My name is Simon Parsons, and I thank you for joining me here today. I am excited to be sharing with you valuable insights, tips, and strategies as it relates to using locum tenants to make some extra money or design a lifestyle that gives you more flexibility and freedom. Please make sure to subscribe to this podcast and share with anybody who could use this information. Hello there, this is Simon, and I'm welcoming you to the Locum's Strategist Podcast. Today on this episode, we're going to be talking about the five things that impact your ability to get confirmed for a Locum's assignment. And I think this is important stuff to know because a lot of times you only see the front end of what's going on, and I'm going to share with you a little bit of behind the scenes of what I'm looking for and some of the levers that I can pull to get a physician confirmed into a locums assignment. There's five different things that I'm gonna be going over today. Some of them uh, we have a little bit more control over than others, and then make sure you hang around to the very end. Whether you've been doing locums for a while or you're just getting started, I wanna share with you a really cool thing that I think you can do that will impact your future assignments. So the first thing I wanted to talk about, okay, let's let's say that uh, I get on a call with somebody for the very first time. Usually it takes me between five and 20 minutes to have a discussion with somebody about what they want to do with locums, and then I'll ask them some questions that determine the strategy that I'm going to be taking to get that person confirmed. And um, based on that, I know exactly how to approach the situation. But the first thing that's going to impact your ability to get confirmed on a locums assignment is something that we really don't have a lot of control over. It's not something that we can really change to a high degree. We may be able to reframe a few things, uh, but there's not a whole lot you can do, and that's malpractice. I think we all know that that is part of the equation. And let's say you have a locums job that opens up, and there's, you know, here's another thing that I don't think people realize, but you know, if there's a job that's opened up and there's, uh, you know, the, the company's working, you know, the hospital's working with three different locums agencies and each of those agencies submits between three to five candidates. Sometimes it could be a lot more if it's a highly attractive locums position. But um, what's going to happen is on paper, you may have an identical skill set with somebody else and you may not even have a lot of malpractice. But let's say that you have a, you know, you're a perfect match for the job with your skill set. You know, there's maybe 10 people presented to that job and two of them look the best on the paper. What's what it's what often is going to happen is let's say one has no malpractice and the other top candidate has $5,000, a $5,000 payout, which is not a big deal at all. But just the way that human beings are and the selection process goes, typically it will probably go to, you know, if everything else is equal, everything looks good on paper. Uh, it might go to the person that has no malpractice versus the one who just has a little bit. So this does come into play, and I wanted you guys to understand what that looks like on the back end. So when it's when it comes to things like malpractice, I also like to include in this uh, NPDB issues, and that could be anything like a board action, probation, suspension, and anything like that will weigh definitely weigh heavier, right? Especially if you have like an an open investigation is pretty much. Um, a very volatile situation which limits my ability to get you confirmed into a locums assignment. That needs to be closed out. And um, most agencies will not work with somebody when they have some type of an open investigation. You know, maybe it's an open peer review, but right there that will hold up the locums process. Uh, If it's some type of a board action, suspension, Uh, Something that shows up on your NPDB report, the most important thing is to have a really good and clear understanding of what what happened. And I would always recommend writing up some type of a very 
you know, make it brief, but some type of a narrative where people can easily understand the context of what happened during that situation. And of course, it's always really good to be transparent. I would much rather have this information on the front end because what happens is if you, you know, even if it's something minor and you hold that back, you don't disclose that either to the locums agency or to the, you know, maybe the it's the recruiter that doesn't disclose it. Maybe he hides something from the, um, from the hospital and the decision maker finds that, you know, if they find that later, that's a big red flag because you didn't disclose it up front. So uh, best practice on that is to make sure that if you have any type of an MPDB report, to have some type of a short and clear un- explanation that gives context to the situation and be upfront about it. Now, malpractice, there's not a whole lot that you can do with that. There, you can't really change that once a payout's been made, you know, or if there's a pending case, you know, that can be closed out. But uh, as far as pay, malpractice payouts, they aren't typically a big deal unless there's a lot of them, right? If it's a large amount, in you know, in every industry, or excuse me, every specialty is different. But for me, in surgery, anything over five hundred thousand dollars becomes a little bit more of an uphill battle, right? Once you go over a million, or if there's a lot of different cases, that can also add a lot of headwinds to uh, getting that person confirmed. But really under $500,000 and you know one to three payouts is not a big deal and you shouldn't really worry about that too much. And uh, there's definitely ways to reframe that too. Like I said, it's for me, instead of like, you know, if, I have, if I have a physician who has three payouts of $500,000, I'm not gonna put like $500,000 in malpractice. I'll break them down individually. Here's case number one, here's case number two, and here's case number three. Because, you know, even an eye on that, it seems like the payouts, when you break them down separately, uh, it looks like a smaller amount. And, you know, sometimes if you have a big amount, that can jump up and really, you know, cause the recruiter to, to, you know, look at somebody else. So again, those are a few simple things that you can do with malpractice. Not a whole lot you can do. Uh, other than be transparent and just frame that in the best possible context that you can. The second big thing that is going to impact your ability uh, to get confirmed for locums is licenses. Now, what's cool about this is licenses can be changed, right? You can start off with no licenses. Like a lot of times I'll start working with somebody who's fresh out of residency or fellowship, and they really don't have a lot of licenses under their belt. Somebody who's more experienced may have, uh, you know, three, four, five up to 10, you know, active locums physicians, sometimes they'll have up to 10 locums licenses, excuse me, not locums licenses, but licenses in general. And this gives them a much bigger footprint to work with. It gives them a lot more jobs that we can talk with. And it is always better to have a license in hand. Now, there's times where you can get confirmed for a job where you don't have the license. But again, just like malpractice, the person who has the license in hand will get stronger consideration. Now, here's what's really cool is the the IMLC, they call it the compact license. And this is something that was rolled out in 2018. And now it's really taken foot. And if I see a person that you know has a pathway to getting the IMLC compact license, then it's it's basically a no-brainer. And here's the thing is even though, you know, we may not use it, it's just really good to have this because it gives us a lot more options and a lot more jobs to talk about. Like I said, basically this expands your footprint of jobs that you're available for. And the cool thing about the IMLC, let me tell you what that is really quickly. It's basically like the way I would describe it is like when, you know, you have a membership to a gym and it allows you to work out in other states other than the place where you live. That's kind of like the IMLC. You can get a letter of qualification from your board, from your state board. And what that does is it gives you kind of like that ability to get a license quickly from you know, up to 30 other states. 
The power in this is you don't really have to be proactive about it. You don't have to go out and get licensed ahead of time and guess which states will have jobs. You can get this letter of qualification and if a job comes up, like clients are really good about letting you be presented to these jobs without a li uh, uh, excuse me a license in that state. Because if you have that letter of qualification in hand, they know you'll be able to get a license quickly. I've actually confirmed physicians on a locum's job, and at the same time I was talking on, on the phone, they were on the website getting a new license for that state. Really, really easy, but not everybody is a, applicable to that. You can go to imlc.org uh, or just search it on the internet and you can find it. I'll drop it in the notes, but that's a really easy way to see which states are available. But if you have a pathway to get the IMLC, that is a no-brainer. There's a few things that they're looking for. They want you to either live in that state, uh, have a residence in that state, uh, work in that state or you're getting at least 25% of your income from that state and then you can be qualified to get the letter of qualification and that's your uh, that's your past you know that's your your past that allows you to get a license in any of those 30 states but if there's a way that you can get that it is an absolute no-brainer if you want to expand your footprint when it comes to licensing now here's another cool thing too is I looked this up with my associate and there's probably about 20 to 25 states where the licensing time is less than eight weeks. So uh, a lot of good stuff has been happening when it comes to, to licensing and uh, being able to get something pretty quickly. There are some states that are absolutely a beast to get a license in. Um, let me think of the ones that are the worst. Massachusetts is really tough. PA is really tough. California can be a beast and very expensive too. And the funny thing is those three states are not part of the IMLC. Texas used to be in that uh, bucket as well, but they became a part of the IMLC. Now it's really easy to get a Texas license. So we're seeing a lot of good improvements when it comes to licensing. Okay, number three, this is important too, is your availability. Now, when I talk with a physician and if they tell me that they only have weekend availability, of course, I'm still going to put them on my, on my radar and do my best to find them that, some work. But really, like somebody who has one weekend per month of availability for locums, and especially if their, their schedule isn't very flexible, that limits my ability to get that person confirmed. Now, it doesn't mean that those jobs aren't out there. It just really restricts what is possible. Now, if they have the IMLC and they're willing to travel, that can be a good thing too and open up more opportunities for that person, okay? So uh, ability, I excuse me, availability, I would also put under there, you know, how much flexibility does the physician have in their schedule? Is it something where they can trade with their partners or is it like they'd set their schedule out uh, six months in advance, and there's only we have to try to find it within certain windows. Another common scenario that I see is people that are in transition. You know, someone may be quitting uh, a, a job, and then they have another one lined up, and they're looking for me to fill a job in that one month gap, which is really tough too. Depending on the specialty, a lot of a lot of uh, specialties will have jobs that are open for much longer than that, and it doesn't make sense for them to bring somebody on and go through all the credentialing if it's just gonna be avail availability for a month. Now, even if they think that their job is only gonna be open for that amount of time and it happens to fit in there, oftentimes that job is gonna want somebody who has some ongoing availability in case they do need somebody uh, in the future. So that's something to consider as well. 
Another thing that I like to ask about when it comes to availability is how far will somebody be willing to travel? I have some physicians that will travel across the country for a locum's job if it's really good. And then there's people who won't go more than, you know, two hours away from their home. And those are two um, questions that I ask that really impact somebody's ability to do well with locums is how flexible they are with their time and schedule and how far they're uh, available to travel. Okay, next up on the list, this is number four. This is your skill set. This is another thing that is really, you know, pretty set in stone, right? It, it, when they do credentialing for you, they're, what they're looking for is what have you been doing in the last 24 months? They want to see that you've been highly active in those skills and uh, they do not want to credential you for things that, you know, I know a lot of surgeons that will say, yeah, it's just like riding a bicycle and, I can do that no problem. I'll never forget that. That's great, but from a credentialing perspective, that can be a liability. You know, if they sign you off for creds on something that you haven't on a, a procedure that you haven't done in the last couple of years, that opens up the locums agency to liability and potentially the hospital and you as well. So, really, what they're looking for, I mean, this is pretty set in stone, but they're going to be taking a look at the stuff that you were most active in in the last 24 months specific, you know, this will weigh higher in the most recent 12 months. So they'll be looking at, uh, you know, what you've been doing the most and they'll credential you based on that, but there really isn't a whole lot of flexibility. And each specialty is different and will have different requirements as far as what it takes to get credentials in that particular procedure. So make sure you have a conversation with your uh, locums recruiter and ask them about that. What is it that, you know, don't be presented to jobs without you having a clear understanding if you can get credentialed for it. So make sure that you talk to your locums recruiter about this. Find out what is what is the threshold to get you credentialed for each of those procedures that you want to do. And here's another thing too, is make sure that you're working with a rep that really understands this. I think that's something that is really frustrating to me is that there are recruiters or even people that sign off on people's privileges that don't have a clear understanding of what those procedures even are. To them, it's just like a box that needs to be checked. For me, like I am, I am taking part in a physician's ability to create income. So I take this very seriously. When I first started doing locums work, I glued myself to YouTube videos and, you know, trauma is something that I'm fascinated with. But there was, I think there was a show called Life in the ER, but I really made myself for familiar so that I can understand exactly what it is that the physicians that I'm working with, what it is that they are doing. So make sure that you, uh, your locums recruiter has a clear understanding of what those procedures are and what the thresholds are for you to get credentialed in those procedures. Okay, number five. Okay, this is a big one, right? This is the locums recruiter or the agency. This will have an impact on your ability to get work. Now, I think a lot of people make the mistake of just, you know, going with anybody or working with as many agencies as possible. First off, there's a lot of crossover, so there could be a job open that's, you know, open with 5 or even 10 different agencies, and they're not all different, right? Here's the thing that most people don't see on the back end, but you've got to have a, a rep that is truly working on your behalf. Now, the company that I work for, we kind of have a what I call um, a two-step process, right? We have reps that work with the hospitals, and it's their duty to look out for the best interest of the hospital. For me, it's my duty to look out for the physicians that I work for. And between me and the client side rep, we've got to come together and find a good fit. There's going to be other reps that are working with that client rep, other you know, physician reps that are working with that client rep and doing their best to get their physicians in. 
And I think this kind of gives, you know, like a bipartisan feel to it, right? So we've got to collaborate together and I've got to make sure that I have really good relationships with my doctors and that I'm doing everything I can to make sure that they are a good fit for it. Now, it's kind of like a conflict of interest, in my opinion, when you have somebody who's working with both the client and with their physicians, because what happens is their paycheck can be, you know, I don't think people see this on the on the other side, on the outside, but, you know, uh, the recruiter's paycheck can be a big influence on that recruiter and the actions they, they take. For example, if that physi- physician rep is working with five different doctors for the same job, he may be pushing somebody else over you because he thinks he has a higher chance of confirming that, therefore making more money. One of my policies that I've always held with is that you know, as long as I look, look look out for the physician's best interest and their paycheck, I will never have to worry about mine. Now, unfortunately, with locums, that isn't always the case. A lot of times there will be recruiters uh, that are putting their paycheck first. So you really need to make sure that you have a clear understanding of the values of the person that you're working for. I think the agency, too, can have some impact on it. You know, there's a lot of mom and pop shops out there. And while generally I support small business as much as possible, they might not have the opportunities that you're looking for or the leverage. So I think it's just really important to understand that, you know, it's it's not just like, oh, I'll pick anybody. You know, some locums agencies will have a lot more opportunities. Some reps may be picking certain surgeons over others, and there may be a conflict of interest. They may be pushing certain physicians over you. And I don't think that's a good practice as well. Uh, and then on top of that, I think that there, this is really important too, is your relationship with the recruiter. Make sure that you work with somebody that you feel good about. Somebody who's transparent with you, who shows you the ins and outs, but make sure you go with your gut. If you're getting a weird feeling about the person that you're working with, that's a major flag, uh, major red flag. So make sure that you are um, you know, feeling good about the person that you work with. Now, here's this is important too, and I see this over and over, but the reps have a lot of influence because if you're working with somebody who's very tenured and understands marketing and strategy, that will go in your favor as well. If you're working with somebody who's brand new, and like I said, everybody's got to cut their teeth at some point. Everybody's got to start from zero, but I'm just giving you a little bit of perspective that if you're working with somebody who's a little bit more experienced, more invested, and for me, like I love being passionate about what I do. I think that affects my ability to get doctors confirmed because on the back end, when I'm talking to a client or to a client rep, and my enthusiasm and my passion and my ability to market that surgeon definitely has an effect. If I'm closing a lot more deals, then that means that I'm doing a better job promoting the physicians that I'm working with and get getting them actually confirmed. I think that is just such an important factor. And here's another thing too is like for me, and this is why it's important is, is on the backside of this, I'm picking jobs. I'm p- picking client side recruiters that I know perform well. If I work with a couple of client side reps and they're, they have a high confirmation rate, I'm looking at their jobs first, right? And, you know, speaking of jobs, if there's a client that is a is known for being a window shopper, like they're always opening up jobs, but they're very difficult to work with, and they rarely confirm any of our physicians, I'm not going to pay that job too much attention. So that's a little bit of behind the scenes that I think is relevant to you is to be, you know, picky, <laughs> or at least open and, you know, 
make sure you shop around and find a recruiter and an agency that you feel com- comfortable with because it's not, not all of them are the same. Not all recruiters are the same. They don't all have the same amount of influence, knowledge, passion, or even interest in getting you confirmed, right? So take those into consideration and uh, make, your, make your best decision based on that. But definitely uh, know that you do not have to work with anybody that you don't feel comfortable with. Okay, now I'm going to get into the bonus. Uh, this is what I call getting on the inside track. This is something that I coach to the physicians that I work with is, you know, I like to say it like this. I can open the door for you, but you have the ability to shape and mold the locum's assignment uh, the best way that you can, right? So if you go to a locum's assignment and you've had a good experience and you want to go back, I want you to play an active role in that. Be an active participant. Find out who the decision maker is. Find out who the people are that impact who gets you know, the next shot at a locum's assignment and get to know those people. One of, two of my favorite questions, I'm going to actually create a, an episode about this because I think it's so important. But, but when you go on a locum's assignment, one really good question to ask is, you know, find out who the dis- decision maker is and just say, hey, thank you so much for bringing me on. Just wanted to know, like when you've had locums come into your hospital before, what were some of the best things that you liked about them? And also, did you ever have any bad experiences with any locums that you had in the past? That way, you're showing a sincere interest in coming through for the client. And they love that you took the time to ask those questions. But really, what I'm saying is, uh, if you're interested in returning, don't just wait for the locums recruiter to let them know you're available be active in that. Talk to the people while you're on assignment. Say, hey, I had a great assignment. I would love to come back. What is, you know, what's coming down the pipeline? Do you have any open um, sets that I can help you fill? And if you push on that end and your recruiter is also being vocal on their end, that will significantly increase your likelihood of being asked back for repeat locums assignment. Hope you've enjoyed this episode and make sure that you Um, drop into the comment section, or excuse me, the description of this episode. If you'd like my contact information, if you wanted to ask me a question directly, uh, if you, if you're in the surgical specialties and you're interested in a strategy section session, you can send an email to me and, uh, set something up with me. Uh, if you just wanted to ask fee or if you just wanted to leave some feedback or ask a question that you think would be a good episode in the future, please do that as well. Thank you so much. I look forward to uh, sharing more information with you on the next episode.